The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. In einer Stunde werden die Roboter in Moskau sein und Stalin wird keine andere Wahl haben, als den Apparat zu aktivieren. Device? What device? The Russians have a doomsday device, powerful enough to wipe out existence on the Earth. They have it as a failsafe in case they were ever attacked on a massive scale. Why do you think we got them to fight on our side? Used to be on our side. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. As I'm sure it is with most Canadians, my knowledge of the Ukraine-Russia conflict and its historic roots is minimal. But I, I do know this. The situation is not as simple as Western governments and the government press are leading us to believe. It's not simply a matter of Russia invades Ukraine, therefore Russia is the aggressor and must be stopped. The background is far less simplistic. It's a background of ethnic rivalries, dubious election outcomes, shifting borders, foreign interference, money laundering by the Obama-Biden administration and Ukrainian oligarchs, and failed diplomacy. In short, it's a quagmire. Very few here in North America fully comprehend, and we would be best to stay out of the conflict, in my personal opinion. Ukraine is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a guiltless victim here. And our own governments share much of the blame for what is currently unfolding in that area. And while I'm no expert when it comes to the geopolitics of that particular part of the globe, we're lucky to have someone here who knows a far sight more about the issue than many. And our good friend and esteemed guest, Dr. Salim Mansour, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Western Ontario, is about to offer a narrative of what is happening in Ukraine that is admittedly at great odds with what you might be hearing in the so-called mainstream media. Released on our own YouTube and Rumble platforms on February 27th, the following conversation is but one selected part of a much longer discussion between Salim and Robert. You know, we're forced once again to address the constant stream of lies and fake news being spread in the fictionalized Ukraine narrative, all geared to protect the outright corruption and criminal activity being engaged in by those who pay them to write the fictions. In terms of the contrast between what the state press reports and what is really the situation on the ground, it's a deja vu of Ottawa all over again. We saw families with their children in the streets of Ottawa, all as peaceful as could possibly be, while the state media reported that terrorists were on the loose. How can anyone ever, at any time, for any narrative, ever trust even a single word uttered by the state propagandists, disguised as our daily mainstream media. So get ready to compare what you've been reading, seeing, and hearing in the state propaganda media with what you are about to hear on today's show. And hang on to your seats as Salim connects the dots of a series of events, both current and historical, that will open your eyes to both the reality of what the Ukraine conflict is all about and to the profoundly corrupt and criminal actions being routinely engaged in by our own leaders, politicians, and the media. 
It all begins with our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Welcome, Celine. Could you please shed some light on what is happening today between Russia and Ukraine? Thank you, Robert. We are in the midst of the fog of war. This is not about Putin, the Darth Vader, which is what the Western media and the Western government, particularly the United States and its ally uh, in Europe, uh, Great Britain, the BBC and others are portraying the situation as, and uh, Ukraine, the victim. Of course, the people of Ukraine are the victims. Yes. You know, they, they are as much of a victim in this geostrategic chessboard as we have been the victim, that is the people in Canada, the Western world, around the world, in the two years of mandates and COVID regime and so on and so forth. But here is this point, victim of whom? And that's the story that we need to discuss. I want to uh, begin by reading a couple of passages, few sentences from George Kennan. George Kennan was the father of the containment strategy that was implemented in the Truman administration at the end of World War II. He was not a hawk, he was a diplomat, and he was a historian, a historian of Russia, modern Russia. George Kennan's words are extremely important because the issues that we are faced with or was the, that, that the world was faced with is what has triggered this crisis. And this is what Judge Kennan says. You know, he says, I think it is the beginning of a new Cold War. That is the policy that the Western powers under George Bush, the senior, then subsequently Bill Clinton, and George Bush 43, that was the expansion of NATO eastward. That's what he's referring to. So he says, I think it is a tragic mistake. There was no reason. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one was threatening anybody else. This expansion, which is the expansion of NATO, this expansion would make the founding fathers of this country turn over in their graves. We have signed up to protect a whole series of countries, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do this in any serious way. NATO expansion was simply a lighthearted action by a Senate that has no real interest in foreign affairs. Then he continued, what bothers me is how superficial and ill-informed the whole Senate debate was. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. Don't people understand? Our differences in the Cold War with the Soviet communist regime. And now we are turning our backs on the very people 
who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. And Russia's democracy is as far advanced, if not further, as any of these countries, he's referring to Eastern European countries, Poland, Hungary, Czech, etc. As any of these countries, we have just signed up to defend from Russia. It shows so little understanding of Russian history and Soviet history. Of course, there is going to be a bad reaction from Russia. And then the NATO expanders will say that we always told you that is how the Russians are. But this is just wrong. He was so prophetic. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when George Kennan is saying this towards the end of his life, he has heard President Bush 41 talking about the new world order to a joint session of the Congress, which most of us never paid any attention to or never understood when we, when we came across those words. What did George Bush 41 mean? by the new world order. And George Bush 41, chief of staff, secretary of defense, and later on, the vice president in George Bush 41's son's administration, George Bush 43, this is what it meant. This is what Dick Cheney said. New world order is going to be what we now know the new liberal rule-based order. In other words, one world globalism. And this is how Dick Cheney defined it. Let me read it to you and to our audience. We are an empire now. Just think of the arrogance. This is exactly what Kennan was saying, that the founding fathers will be turning in the grave. We are an empire now. And when we act, we create our own reality. And while you are studying that reality, judiciously, as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We are history's actors. And you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do, what we do, what America do. The collapse of the Soviet Union meant the bipolar world was gone. That is the world divided between East and West Bloc country. And the great division was the heart of Europe at the end of Second World War, 1945. With the collapse of the Soviet Union, there's only one power, the United States of America. It is the empires, to use the word of Dick Cheney. And it's going to be the liberal rule-based order. Both Democrats and the Republicans have invested into this, you know. Uh, and what rule-based order means in, in just effectively in a sentence, we make the rule, you follow that rule. And if you don't follow that rule, you, have a, you will be made to pay a price. You will be eliminated, okay? So this is the globalist agenda. 
the agenda is to use American men and women and of his allies uh, to establish that new liberal based uh, order. And Putin has said no to that. China has said no to that. India has said no to that. Those were all evident in the recent vote in the Security Council on the censure of Russia on Ukraine. Russia, of course, vetoed it. China abstained. A clear signal of where China's interest is. India abstained. And UAE, representing the Gulf states, abstained. So you can see there is a new realignment that is coming together, brought about by the crisis over Ukraine. Uh, and now these votes have indicated that what was under the radar is now very much present to anybody who wants to examine them of the realignment that is taking shape. Welcome to the Stu Peter Show. My name is Stu. So if you're like a lot of Americans, you may not really know where this war in Ukraine came from. The press wants you to think that Vladimir Putin just woke up one day and was like, hmm, I'm going to go conquer Ukraine. They want you to think that he's just another Hitler going around randomly being evil. Well, that's a lie. This war is brought about by the incompetence and arrogance of our own State Department as much as it was created by Vladimir Putin. Here's some history for you. Ukraine used to be not a country at all. 400 years ago, its pieces were split up between Poland, Russia, and the Muslim Empire called the Crimean Khanate. About half the country was basically uninhabited because if you tried to start a town there, Muslim raiders would simply ride in, kidnap you, and sell you into slavery. Well, in the 1700s, Russia conquered this whole region. They settled the parts that were uninhabited. They conquered the Crimea and the parts owned by Poland. Later, the borders of Ukraine were created by Vladimir Lenin after his communist revolution. So what does this all mean? Well, it's why Ukraine is such a mess today, because those empty parts of Ukraine that Russia settled were settled by Russians. They speak Russian. They call themselves Russians. They'd rather just be Russia rather than Ukraine. When the Soviet Union fell, they simply used the borders created by the communists. So what you have is this failed country where half the population is pro-Russia and the other half hates Russia. That's too bad. But then we went and made it worse. In 1990, the Soviet Union allowed the two Germanys to reunify. When they agreed to that, we promised them that we would not expand NATO any further east. But as soon as the Soviet Union collapsed, we simply broke that promise. We let in Poland and Hungary and Romania and a bunch of other countries. And this made Russia freak out because guess what? NATO is an alliance created for one purpose, to fight Russia. So for the last 15 years, the U.S. has been agitating for Ukraine to join NATO too. But this was happening too slowly so we decided to meddle in that country as well. In 2014, Ukraine had a revolution. CNN will claim that they overthrew a dictator to restore a democracy. That's BS. Ukraine's president in 2014 was democratically elected. Everybody on all sides admitted that the vote to elect him was fair. But then we were unhappy when he started to pursue more pro-Russia policies. So when some people started pulling BLM-style protests against his government, our CIA gave them support. So did our media. It was all a stunt to make a violent coup d'etat look like a popular uprising. You had rioters murdering police 
And then when the police shot back, we claimed that this was a dictator just massacring civilians. Totally bogus. But we ramped up the pressure and we forced the Ukrainian president to flee the country. Then a new government came in that was more eager to be our slave. This is the government that paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to bribes to Hunter Biden. This is the government that also did everything Democrats wanted to do here. They kicked all their political enemies out of their jobs. They banned TV channels that they don't like. They arrested their political opponents and made a trumped up treason charge. Well, some parts of Ukraine didn't go along with the coup and they fought back and they turned to Russia. For the past eight years, we've had a million chances to compromise. We could have agreed to keep Ukraine out of NATO. We could have pressured Ukraine to become more decentralized so both ethnic Russians and ethnic Ukrainians could be happy, but we didn't do that. So finally, Russia got fed up, and here we are. So that's what happened. Before the deep state used BLM and a lying media and ballot fraud to steal the 2020 election, they practiced all of these tactics in Ukraine. This war is just what happens when the target of one of these revolutions fights back. The ethnic Russians in Ukraine are like our January 6th protesters, and the deep state wants to crush them for the same reason they want to crush the Jan Sixers. If you want to blame anybody for this war, blame the deep state. Let's be real about a few things. Canada cracking down on protesters and freedom of speech, seizing truckers' bank accounts matters a lot more than Ukraine. For that matter, the tyranny of our own leaders matters a lot more than anything Vladimir Putin does. Vladimir Putin isn't forcing you to get a vaccine. Vladimir Putin isn't deplatforming you from Twitter and YouTube and Airbnb and seizing your bank accounts. Vladimir Putin isn't propagandizing your children into cutting their genitals off. Those are issues that matter. And as long as we have tyranny here at home, it's disgusting that any Republicans in office or on television are egging on new wars far away. But of course, that's why they do it. Every great power have their sphere of influence. That's what a great power is. It has a sphere of influence. So let's, let's talk about that briefly. United States in the early 1820s, to be exact, 1823, President Monroe, who was the fifth president of the United States, one of the founding fathers, he proclaimed what is known as the Monroe Doctrine. In 1823, he said, and this was directed to the European powers, particularly the great European powers, who had a presence in the New World. Britain, Britain was in British North America, we Canada, you know, Britain and Britain as a uh, and, and United States had fought a war in 1812. John Monroe was there. So Britain, France and Spain, even though France had been an ally of United States during the Revolutionary War. But Spain was basically the dominant power in South America, from Mexico down into Argentina and so on. The other one was Portugal in, in Brazil. So the Monroe Doctrine basically proclaimed that no outside power will be tolerated or accepted by Washington engaging or pursuing their interests detrimental 
to the interests of the United States. This is the Western Hemisphere. Okay, so 1823, Monroe Doctrine clearly laid out the policy of where is America's interest in the Atlantic Basin, and they will not tolerate it. After the Civil War, the uh, position was very clear. Britain had supported the Confederacy. America would not tolerate Britain's engagement in any form or shape. That was the context in which very rapidly Johnny MacDonald and others got together to establish the Dominion of Canada so that they could, you know, in, in some ways form a security basis for British North America, north of uh, the 49th parallel. But it was also a message clearly to the Spanish Empire. Florida was still uh, part of Spain, as was Mexico and so on, and, and the line was drawn. But the line comes into operation very sharply, as I said at the beginning of, of, of this discussion, and this is the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Soviet missile placement in Cuba and John F. Kennedy raised the Monroe Doctrine as a reminder putting Soviet missiles 90 miles away from the American coastline south of Florida was a massive intrusion and a threat to American interests and a security. I mean, the missile pointing to Washington was not going to be accepted by Americans and was not accepted by Americans. And they drew the quarantine and they went almost mano to mano in what became the Cuban Missile Crisis. Khrushchev was the premier uh, and successor of Stalin. Now, why had Khrushchev done that? Well, Khrushchev had done that because the Americans had put missiles in Turkey. Turkey was on the border of the Southern Republics of the Soviet Union. All of the countries surrounding the Caspian Sea and Black Sea are in border with um, Turkey. Plus, Turkey holds the critical passage from the Black Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, which is in the Black Sea. Uh, Crimea is the base of the Soviet uh, fleet and the only warm water port. So the Americans had put, NATO had put missiles in Turkey. So on the geostrategic chessboard, Moscow responded by preparing to place missiles in Cuba. And when John F. Kennedy drew the quarantine around Cuba, Khrushchev understood. Soviet Navy approaching those quarantine lines in the Caribbean turned around. The conflict was avoided. Soviet missiles was removed. And similarly, the missiles in Turkey was removed. It's clear. There are spheres of influence. That is what the discussion was in the early 90s. And that's exactly what George Kennan was alluding to. When you're pushing the NATO boundaries right into the face of Moscow, Moscow basically as a very weak power at that time, Soviet Union had collapsed. They had been humiliated. But mind you, the collapse of the Soviet Union was primarily from within, that the Soviet collapse meant the Russian people had risen up against communism. 
And as I would tell my students, if you guys don't read Solzhenitsyn, you will never understand 20th century history. Isn't it ironic, Salim, that when the collapse of the Soviet Union, the Russian hegemony at the time, rejected communism, at the same time, here in the West, we've adopted a globalist communist ideology through the World Economic Forum, the Club of Rome, the United Nations, people like Christia Freeland, who studied Russian literature in the Soviet Union, in Ukraine under the Soviet Union, who was badgered by the KGB at the time, and maybe she holds some sort of long-held animus, a grudge against Russia for badgering her at that time. Who knows? But the irony is that we've had Russia and the East reject communism, mostly, and the West adopted. Now, Putin, he decided to go ahead and attack Ukraine. Now, we saw this back in 2014, 2015, around that time frame. And during that period of time, what did Putin do? Well, the Ukraine, Ukrainian forces, they decided to attack those areas of Donetsk and Luhansk, and they tried to push into those areas. And the Russian people in those areas, they were fighting back. And they were approaching, getting closer and closer. And actually, Russia did assist in this. And they actually came into Ukraine and pushed the troops pretty darn far back. Now, did Putin stay in Ukraine after that? No, he actually left. He destroyed the military at that time and said, "Okay, enough is enough and retreated back into Russia. Of course, the Ukrainian forces, they couldn't do anything. They were destroyed. And remember, Putin, he doesn't want Ukraine. Let's fast forward to right now. What is Putin doing? Is he starting World War III? Did he invade Ukraine? Or is there another mission going on? I do believe there's another mission going on. This is not an invasion. It's a tactical hit. And we can see that it seems that the go-ahead was given to move into Ukraine to destroy strategic areas. Now, remember, we know that John Kerry, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, all their sons are on some type of energy company board. And people, they're starting to realize the truth. Now, there is a reason why Trump, and I do believe he's working with Putin and most likely Zelensky, which we mentioned yesterday. I do believe that this is not about an invasion. This is not about taking over Ukraine, starting World War III, having a nuclear war or anything like that. This is about removing the deep state. Now, do I think we're gonna see a lot more of these type of operations? I do believe so. Actually, Trump has already mentioned that we might see other operations like this because the mission here is to get rid of the deep state stronghold. We know, we've known for a very, very long time that Ukraine is corrupt. When there was regime change during Obama's presidency, they brought in the neo-Nazis. They set up the neo-Nazis in certain locations. They had weapons. They also set up biolabs studying the most dangerous viruses in the world on Russia's border. But I wanted to talk about the arrests that are going on now in Ukraine. And it seems 
that they are most likely arresting the neo-Nazis. Remember, this is about draining the swap, getting rid of those individuals, the corrupt individuals inside of Ukraine. And we can see that the neo-Nazis, the deep state players, the swamp creatures, they're very, very nervous about this because they were caught destroying and burning documents near an intelligence building in Kiev. That tells you that they're panicking right now because everything that they created, everything that they put into place back in 2014, 2015 with the regime change is now falling apart. Well, think about gain of function. Think about Wuhan lab. Now think about the bio labs in Ukraine. Where in Ukraine are the explosions taking place? Here's a reported explosion in Luetsk. This is 75 miles inland in far Western Ukraine, the opposite border of Russia. Reportedly, Kiev has seen missile strikes as well at their airports and military installations. Kiev is also on the Western side of Ukraine. Also a city the US government have confirmed the U.S. have built biolabs in. Putin also continues to call it a special military operation. Says he wants to demilitarize and denazify, yes, that's the word he used, denazify the country, but not occupy it. So when you look at the maps between the places where Russia is bombing and where the biolabs are located, they're pretty much identical. And yes, there are a couple of other places where they bomb, but it looks like They've been hitting these areas strategically. Now, we've come to find out that there's about 11 biolabs in Ukraine. Seven of them have been hit. And I just want to go back in time. Remember what Bill Gates said? That, oh yeah, Omicron, it was like a vaccine. It just got rid of the pandemic. And he seemed very, very upset about that because they were going to use this to bring us into the Great Reset. And he said, well, there's another pandemic coming. It's starting to make sense now because they've been using Ukraine and Wuhan to create these viruses. And I wouldn't be surprised if Trump and the Patriots, Putin and the rest, they knew what they were planning to do. They knew the playbook and they had to take action because what happened to the pandemic? It disappeared like in a split second. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. But back to... um Ukraine and and Russia, what happened to Ukraine in this period after 1990? Well, what happened to Ukraine? Ukraine became the playground of the globalists, of the deep state, of the uniparty. Just take this into account. One little fact that is simply the tip of the iceberg. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, the woman who's third in line to become the president. Biden, the president. John Kerry, who is Biden's climate czar. That means he is carrying the agenda of the World Economic Forum and the UN agenda, who was the secretary of state in the second administration, second term of Obama, you know, 2013 to 20. 17. And Mitt Romney, a rhino through and through, a globalist through and through, who is now a U.S. senator, who was a candidate, 
therefore the uniparty candidate for the 2012 election, along with Paul Ryan as his running mate, another globalist who ended up being the speaker in the Congress and who showed his hand by opposing Trump administration while he was the speaker. So here you have four key people, and there are many, many more, but just these four key people who are right now in Washington, they and their children are deeply immersed with the Ukrainian oligarchs in making money. The Hunter Biden story was never investigated and never brought out. In fact, it was used in a way to destroy President Trump. During the presidential debate in 2020, when President Trump raised the issue of the Biden family connection with Burisma, and Burisma is again the tip of the iceberg, the answer that Joe Biden gave in the debate was that this is all basically lies because the 17 intelligence agencies had examined what is being alleged and found this was Russian disinformation. And Chris Wallace, you know, conducting the debate, basically turned the, the page on that line of questioning, you know. So it was all a setup. So here it is, the, uh, Ukraine became a playground and a playground for uh, the deep state and the West to push it in the direction, expanding NATO, a dagger right at the throat of the Russian Federation, Moscow. Just as no president in the United States, and it was John F. Kennedy who happened to be the president at that particular moment, no president in the United States would accept or allow that Cuba or any of the Caribbean island be turned into the hostile base of a power outside the Western Hemisphere. No Russian president will accept that a dagger be drawn at his throat uh, and, and encircle Russia. But it began with the Obama administration 2009. And soon after Obama's inauguration in January of 2009, and Hillary Clinton being sworn in as the Secretary of State, she flies off to Moscow. Putin is the president at that time. He will step down soon after because he had served his two terms, and then it would be Medvedev who would become the president for two terms, and then Putin would return. And um, his foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, who is, by the way, his foreign minister now, in that famous meeting in Moscow between Hillary Clinton and Sergei Lavrov, Hillary Clinton offers Lavrov this big yellow disc with a button on top of it. And Lavrov is wondering, what is this? And, and she points the finger you know, at the button. This is the Great Reset. The Great Reset was the World Economic Forum agenda already proposed and written. And so the word was not simply an accidental use of the word. The point of the Great Reset is that the empire, as Dick Cheney de de defined America after the collapse of the Soviet Union, will be bringing about the new liberal rule-based order, which, by the way, Canadians are signed on to, that is both the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party and the NDP. 
this new liberal based order is the globalist agenda. Davos and the World Economic Forum is the clearing house of the agenda, the packaging of the agenda, whether it is UN Agenda 2030, the climate change, global warming agenda, the compact on global migration, on and on, you know, the whole list of it. So this is the clearing house. And there, the oligarchs of the world, the Jeff Bezos, the George Soros, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts, the Rothschilds, and so on and so forth, they recruit their own foot soldiers to carry out that agenda. And the governments of the world simply is going to take those policies and implement them. So that's what it is. We make the rule, you follow the rule, right? So there was the Secretary of State in Moscow trying to ensnare and bring in Russia into this new rule-based order. The question one might ask before we proceed further on the Russian angle, what about China? Well, that's exactly what had already happened. China, through the World Trade Organization, had been brought into this system in which the Western powers, the process of shifting the supply chain and the production from the heartland of America to China that took place, you know. Um, and that shift was sold on the idea that uh, in helping China make economic development uh, under this arrangement, we are helping China to become a liberal democracy. The whole idea, you know, the liberal democracy, Jeffersonian democracy will be planted in China through this mechanism. Well, what, what happened was the deindustrialization of the West particularly the United States. So that is the other side of this agenda. So in 2009, you have uh, Hillary Clinton uh, with, with Putin and Lavrov trying to get the Great Reset on. And the threat is um, Ukraine. You know, the Ukraine will be brought in to the NATO, you know, it will be brought into the EU. And Mr. Putin is saying no. I mean, that's not Mr. Putin saying no, that's Gorbachev said no, it's Boris Yeltsin said no, it is the Russian people saying no. Unlike what is the media narrative in the West, that he is the Darth Vader, he's the great Lucifer, it is the opposite, that Putin is reflecting the interests of the Russian people, the deep-seated patriotism of the Russian people. Putin has revived and re-establish the Russian church, the Orthodox church. Moscow is the third Rome or the second Rome, whichever way you want to put it. So none of this is to suggest that suddenly Putin is a Jefferson or a Washington. The point is, as George Kennan said, that the progress, the evolution of Russian democracy is no less than the effort of democratic institution building in other Warsaw Pact countries. And, and to denigrate Russia is to humiliate Russia, and there will be a pushback.
And that's the pushback we are seeing. So in 2016 election, Hillary lost. Hillary was deeply compromised in terms of her personal money laundering, pay-to-play schemes. Not only she was deeply compromised in Ukraine, she was also deeply compromised in Russia. After all, Putin had paid big sums of money to Clinton and Clinton Foundation. And there is that notorious event in which Bill Clinton goes to Moscow and gives a 25-minute speech for which Putin's people hand him half a million dollars. So these are people deeply compromised, you know. And so when these people try to lecture Moscow and Putin about democracy and transparency, you know, it is as the Antichrist lecturing a faithful believer, you know. They have no standing. They have no ethical and moral standing in in this part of the world. And their agenda is very clear. They're using Ukraine and pushing into the heart of Moscow. Now, what what have the Ukrainian leaders done? Ukrainian leaders from Yushchenko and before him and after him, these are the people representing the oligarchs of Ukraine who have been buying protection for themselves by paying American leaders. That's the backstory. And then comes President Trump and nothing happened. There was no push for Ukraine into NATO, and there was no push from Putin threatening NATO. What happened was President Trump, in calling Zelensky, the current president of Ukraine, when Zelensky got elected in 2019, President Trump called him to congratulate him. And in that telephone conversation, he asked, Zelensky, that there's been a lot of problem in our country. And in all of that problem, Ukraine stands out. So can you please investigate and let us know about it? And the reference was made to CrowdStrike. That is the company that was used by Hillary Clinton to wipe out her server, which had been hacked and 30,000 email, according to WikiLeaks and Julian Assange was in their hand that the Russians had. CrowdStrike was a Ukrainian company that was used by Hillary Clinton. And so President Trump made reference to CrowdStrike. These are all now in public document because these were all of this was released. And he also asked Zelensky about what is happening with Burisma, what happened with the prosecutor general who was appointed Uh, that is Shokin, to investigate Burisma. Would Zelensky investigate into that and let them know? And Trump said, you know, we can send you my friend, my man. He's the mayor of America. He's very well informed in all of these matters, Rudy Giuliani. And uh, you you can advise him. Well, it was from within his White House that is these deep state people who monitored the phone call and who came out whistleblowing. The man was Colonel Windman, a Ukrainian-American, saying that President Trump was using President Zelensky to target his political opponent in America, that is Biden. And that became then the basis of the impeachment, the first impeachment that Nancy Pelosi drew up against President Trump. You see, so 
the backstory is that on the issue of Ukraine, in those four years, President Trump wanted disclosures and transparency and an understanding what was involved that Biden came back uh, at the end of Obama's term in office, 2016, and the tape is all around. We've all seen that tape where Biden is sitting and boasting in this consular foreign relation, boasting that, you know, and he's looking at his watch, mimicking what he did, that he was looking at his watch. He called the, the president's office and told them that you have one hour. If you don't fire the prosecutor general, you will not get the money. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. So, so this, this is the backstory. And so what, what happened when President Trump leaves office in January of 2021, barely a year ago, we are back in the same play. We are back in the play of bringing... Ukraine into NATO uh, and making the play such in the game of chess, uh, there is this term called Zugzwang, where you position the opponent in such a situation on the chessboard that the opponent has a legal move to play. It is not a stalemate. It's a legal move the opponent has to make. But whatever move the opponent makes, is against the opponent's interest. That is, the opponent is going to be defeated. That's the Zugzwang. In effect, the opponent is led to resign on the chessboard. So here was the Zugzwang. Whatever Putin does, it will fly against him. That is, on the one side, putting pressure, the argument, Ukraine is an independent, sovereign country. It has the right to make its own foreign policy and to engage in an own security interest. And therefore, the application of Ukraine to enter the uh, NATO and, and for America to bring Ukraine into NATO and extend the NATO frontiers right into the heartland of former Soviet Union as Russia will, will play out. So what is Putin going to do about this? Putin either concedes or as the pressure mounts, Putin has to act as what he did, you know, and whichever way he goes, he is going to be depicted as Darth Vader, the bad wolf, you know. You've gone into the backyard of the bear and you're abusing the bear, you are throwing, you know, all sorts of things at the bear and finally the bear will growl at you and come out. And that's exactly what happened. That's the Zugzwang that has been played. Look what's happening out in Ukraine. It's a complete and utter disaster. Or is it? I mean, the way the fake news is making it seem, it, they're making it seem like Putin is starting World War III, but this is what they do best. I mean, think about when Obama was president. They continually said that Putin's coming in to take over Ukraine. It's going to be World War III. They're saying it right now, but this is not the mission. The mission is to get rid of the deep state. The mission is to destroy the stronghold of the deep state and cut off all funding. And once the funding is cut off, remember this funding is going to Nancy Pelosi. The funding is going to the World Economic Forum. The funding is going up to the private Western Central Bankers. The funding is going to Biden, Hunter Biden, Obama, and many, many others. 
This is all going to be cut off. And this is going to be a problem for the deep state. Each step of the way, what Trump and the Patriots are doing, they're backing them into a corner. And then I do believe Trump is going to start to expose everything that they have done in all of these areas. One area is going to lead to another. China is going to be involved. Ukraine is going to be involved. Spying is going to be involved. The Uranium One deal is going to be involved. Election fraud is going to be involved. And you know what all of this has in common? All these things have in common? It's all the same people. All the same people doing all these things. Then bring in the pandemic. Yes, once again, it's the same people. And that is what everyone is going to see. Remember, everything that they did to Trump, everything that they put him through, he's doing right back at them. And how many of these individuals are going to want to stand trial? Remember, these are going to be military trials. This is treason at the highest level. And most of these people, they won't, they won't want to sit there in front of the world being tried for treason. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some type of suicide week. I'm not saying it's this week. But as things start to really fall apart on them, we might see a lot of suicides because these treasonous people, they're not going to want to stand trial. But remember, they're going to fight to the very, very end. They won't give up because they're fighting for their lives right now. So are we going to see this next week or the week after? No. When they have nothing left, when they have no more ammunition, yes, that's when we will see it. So what are they going to do before this? Well, we know what's coming up. We know because of Klaus Schwab and the rest, and remember, it's at the highest level, they rather shut down the world. they rather have a cyber pandemic than go to jail and have a trial. they rather bring the world into darkness and shut off communications. I mean, is it going to work? I don't think so. We know that we, were, we are protected with black eye. Yes, certain local power grid systems might go out. Yes, the internet might be paused for a little while, but I do believe this is going to be temporary. Yes, should everyone be prepared for all of this? Of course. We already know it's coming. We already know that they have it planned, and it seems like they're prepping for it right now. And this is why True Social is coming online. This is why we have Starlink. This is why we have Black Eye. All countermeasures are in place because the Patriots know the playbook. They know what they have planned. And they will not succeed in what they're trying to do. So what has Biden achieved? Biden basically abandoned Afghanistan. That was the first signal to the world, and in particular to Putin and Moscow. He handed Afghanistan uh, after over $2 trillion of American treasury and several thousand American casualties, dead and wounded um, in Afghanistan, to the Taliban with over 80, close to $90 billion of war material left behind to the Taliban that one can infer has been uh, parceled off by the Taliban to China and to Pakistan. So now, uh, what is 
Afghanistan got to do with what happened? Well, Afghanistan was a clear indicator to Putin that Washington and Biden are basically weak, weak players pushing their hands against Russia. And that this was the moment, finally, as the crisis built up. My inference is that Putin concluded that this is the time to basically end this festering wound and problem on Russia's immediate perimeter. And that's what he has done. Now there is the fog of war and we don't know. I mean, the, 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 the BBC and all the American media is talk, talking about the immense resistance of the Ukrainian army that has delayed uh, the advances of the Russian forces. As I look at those pictures, I see clearly that Russia is not interested or was, that was never on their plan to engage in the sort of fabricated narrative of the Western media and the American government. What we can understand from the Russian side of the story, the little bit that we can get in this fog of war, is Russia has basically captured those industrial towns where the biolabs for making bioweapons in Ukraine that had been put together by the Americans, and those have been captured by Russia. Putin has asked the Ukrainian army to lay down the arm so that a denazification of uh, Ukraine can begin. That aspect of denazification of Ukraine is a very relevant argument because Ukraine was a divided country during the time of the German invasion into Ukraine in 1941 through Poland. And a great many of Ukrainians in the western half of Ukraine participated with the German army, became collaborators with the Nazis. The story of our deputy prime minister and finance minister's family is a glaring example of that, that nobody wants to speak about. You know, so there is that element of denazification because that element of pro-Nazi people became pro-globalist and becoming pro-globalist. They are the agents of George Soros and the World Economic Forum and the Davos crowd with which uh, the Uni Party and the deep state in America has been engaged in. And Ukraine was the instrument of the first impeachment of President Trump. That's the playground. That's the backyard. Okay, so I think once the fog of war lift, we will see that what President Putin was basically indicating that he will not allow it to happen, it will be in some sense accomplished for, for Moscow that a Ukrainian regime after these events will be a Ukrainian regime that will fully understand its position in relationship to Moscow, will be a neutral country, will be independent, apart from those two uh, proto-republics that have been recognized by Moscow, Luhansk and Donetsk. The rest of Ukraine will be formed and established. A new government will take place, whether it's under Zelensky, if he survives, mm. or somebody else. And, and on Zelensky, as a final note, 
the latest story out of Moscow, which the Western media is not reporting, is that Zelensky's people and Putin's people had begun talking to find a settlement, a ceasefire. And Putin's people indicated to Zelensky to go to Minsk in Belarus, where Putin would engage him. However, Biden and his people sent out clear instruction that the only people who can talk directly to Putin is Washington, that is Biden's people. That Zelensky has no right, no authority to talk about Ukraine with Putin. So you can see the handcuffing of anybody in Ukraine who would take a position in defending the independence of Ukraine in terms of Ukrainian interests, which possibly Yanukovych and Shokin, and indeed Zelensky possibly understand. So I have my worries about Zelensky in the sense that if something happens to Zelensky, the BBC and the entire Western media will immediately pounce on the narrative that he has been eliminated by the Russian, and we will not know, you know, what has happened, just as we do not know exactly what has happened to Yanukovych, or where is Yanukovych? Well, Salim, at the beginning of this conversation, I did say that it was a bit of a complex issue, and uh, full of intrigue, and certainly not a story that is being portrayed properly in the government press, nor by our government, in fact, Whenever I hear Trudeau or Christia Freeland or the CBC and their ilk come down on one side, my inclination is to look into the other side as possibly being the good guys. And I thank you very much for putting this into a context that I think is a little more easily understood by people if they listen to this whole conversation. Thank you very much, Celine. Thank you, Robert. And just to put the icing on any conspiracy cakes, here is Ukrainian parliament member Kira Rudik proudly confessing to her agenda against humanity and freedom on a February 27 Fox News report. But right now it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield for the Europe. I watched that entire exchange. And worse, the Fox News anchor and apparently all of the Fox network is fully behind this narrative for a new world order. The name of that new world evil is global fascism. And to even talk about such evil, let alone advocate and fight for it, is just wrong. Which is why, as always, to hear the truth and the views that are just right, Well, you'll just have to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Colonel Becker, this is Colonel Hogan. Colonel. Colonel Hogan, would you do us the honor of joining us for dinner tonight? It will be my pleasure, General. Colonel Becker is going to tell us the truth about the German army's glorious campaign on the Russian front. Why kill all your appetites? (laughs) 